All right. Good, good morning, everybody. Um, why don't you go ahead, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark, the book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12 this morning. Uh, Mark is the second book of the New Testament. And uh, if I see a lot of familiar faces, but if we haven't gotten a chance to uh, meet, my name is James. Uh, my, <clears throat> my wife and my daughters and I have been coming here to Merge for the last uh, two years or so. And um, Brandon, when he, uh, when he and Misty decided to have a little uh, getaway, a little vacation for themselves, uh, Brandon asked if I'd be up for opening up God's Word with you guys and, and uh, walking through it with you. So uh, I'm so thankful for that privilege uh, this morning. And uh, we've been in our worship series over the last uh, several weeks, focusing on how uh, worship, it isn't something that just happens on Sunday mornings when we're here at Merge, but worship is a part of our everyday lives. Uh, not necessarily meaning that we're walking around the house uh, worshiping to or singing a worship song 24-7, but that, that our lives are those of worshipful obedience to God. And today we're going to see in Scripture how the life of Jesus Christ is a life of complete worship. How every moment from morning to night of every day, Christ worshiped God by fulfilling the greatest commandment. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read um, the verses that we're going to be in today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. And then I'll uh, open us in prayer and then we'll, we'll go from there. So uh, starting at, at Mark chapter 12, verse 28, uh, Jesus, uh, Scripture says this. We have it on the screen here. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this morning and we thank you that we can gather here uh, together and we can worship you through opening up your word and, and hearing what your word says and responding to what your word says this morning. Father, I pray that you would uh, just send your, your spirit upon us, pour out your spirit upon us that... Um, that we would see what it is for each of us individually that you have for us today. And, and most importantly, that we would see uh, Christ uh, set before us. We would see him and, and we would love him more because of how well he's loved you and loved us. I pray that you would um, keep us focused, Lord, on you uh, this morning and that you would um, just move in our hearts in mighty ways. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So in verse 28, we're uh, dropped into the beginning of Jesus' interaction with a, a scribe. And now the job of a scribe uh, was to study the 613 commandments that God gave to Moses in the Old Testament and basically write commentaries about those commandments. And so this scribe, he asked Jesus this burning question that pretty much every scribe wanted to know. And the question goes like this. Which commandment is the most important of all? Or in other words, how can we narrow down all 613 commandments into one easy-to-apply formula? Okay, so we'll, we'll go through Jesus' uh, response here in a moment. But first, I want to give us a, a better idea of, of where we'll be going this morning, how we'll study this text together, and what our focus will be. So it's, it's going to be really tempting for us. Uh, just as we kind of open up this text to start trying to check off some boxes in our lives, you know, am I loving God in this way? Am I loving my neighbor in that way? But before we look at ourselves this morning and, and kind of take inventory of our own obedience to this commandment, I want us to see how Jesus Christ fulfilled the greatest commandment. I want him to be the centerpiece of our focus. And after we've been dazzled by Christ, and we see how beautifully and perfectly he fulfills the commandment, then we'll draw application for ourselves. Okay, so, so again, so the scribe, he asked Jesus, which commandment is the most uh, important of all? And what's fascinating, and you, you guys probably noticed this too, is that Jesus doesn't just give him one commandment. He gives him two commandments. And you can kind of think of these commandments like two sides of the same coin. The two commandments make up the greatest commandment. So let's, let's start with the first part of the greatest commandment. Uh, look again at your Bibles at verses 29 and 30. Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So Jesus here He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. And uh, this was a specific command given by God to the people of Israel after he delivered them from slavery in Egypt and swore to bring them into the promised land. Okay, this commandment to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength that communicates complete submission to God in love as a response to his powerful saving work and his faithfulness to his people and to his promises. So in other words, uh, regarding this commandment, there should be no compartment of our lives that we try to keep hidden from God, but that every compartment of our lives would be devoted to him. Now the word uh, love that's used here in Mark, it's, it's actually a, a special kind of love. Okay, The New Testament, it was originally written in the Greek Language And the Greek language has four words uh, to express love where the English language only has one word, right? So I can say that I love my wife and then in the next sentence I can say I love a cheeseburger or I love the cowboys. There's no distinction in the English language. But uh, in, the, in the Greek language there are four different words and this form of love um, that's used here is called agape love. And agape love, it's not about warm and fuzzy feelings. It's not about uh, emotions. Agape love is a verb. It's a choice of action. 
Agape love says, I'm going to commit myself to you. In agape love, it's, it's also provable. It says, you're going to see visible proof of my commitment to you based on how I treat you. So today, the most common way we might see agape love is when two people get married and they, they stick it out for the long haul, right? It's not the warm and the fuzzy feelings that make a marriage last. It's the commitment to each other. It's the commitment to show each other acts of love. And Jesus Christ, he gave God the Father daily visible proof of his loving commitment through acts that fulfilled the greatest commandment. So let's, let's look at how Jesus does it. So, so uh, let's look first at how Jesus loves God with all of his heart. Okay, now when the Bible talks about the heart, it's rarely talking about the, the actual organ uh, that we have in our bodies. It's more so talking about our desires, Okay, you can think of your heart like an internal desire factory. It's always manufacturing a desire for something, a, a desire for, for love or a desire for success or for comfort or recognition or fill in the blank with whatever it is for you. And what's so wonderful about having Bibles is that Scripture opens a window for us to peek into Christ's heart, into his desire center. For example, when we read through the Gospel of John, we see over and over again Jesus' greatest desire is to show how much he loves God the Father by doing his will. There are so many times in John and throughout the Gospels, Jesus says, I came to do the Father's will. My desire is not to do my own will, but to do the Father's will. And so you simply can't open up the Gospels and come away with, any other conclusion than Jesus lived his entire life with this burning desire to be obedient to God the Father out of agape love. Okay, that was the heartbeat of Jesus' ministry. So we see how Jesus loves God with all of his heart. Now let's see how Jesus loves God with all of his soul. Now, when Scripture talks about the soul, it's talking about um, the whole being of a person. Okay, it's that it's that intangible essence of what makes you who you are. It's the, the life inside of you that animates your body. Okay, and just, just by way of, of illustrating this, uh, my grandma, she passed away um, a couple of months ago, and my mom, she was in the, in the hospital, uh, hospital room when she passed. And so I called her a couple days later just to check up on her and see how she was doing, and I think that she said something that really illustrates this idea well, because uh, when my mom, when she was in the room uh, after my grandma had passed and she was looking at her body there in the hospital bed, she said, uh, you know, James, her, it, it wasn't her anymore. Like her body was there, but she wasn't there. And that's the idea of the soul. It's the, it's the life inside of a person. And every person who's ever been created has been created with a unique soul. But the one thing that's, that's not unique about us, that we all have in common, is that every soul, dating all the way back to Adam in the Garden of Eden, has been corrupted by sin in some way. Except for Jesus. Right? We've been studying in the, in the book of Hebrews 
for the last several weeks before we started the worship series. And in Hebrews chapter 4, we see that Jesus, who was tempted in every way that you and I are, except he was perfect, he was without sin. Jesus is the only person who has ever had a sinless soul, and I think, I think it's because he perfectly loved God with his entire soul at every moment of his life. See, when, when we choose sin, our devotion to God, it immediately becomes divided. It's impossible to love God with all of your soul while at the same time committing sin. Okay, the two are like water and oil. They, they never mix together. But Jesus, he never experienced this division. Instead, his soul was completely devoted to God the Father in love and to him no sin was ever worth fracturing that devotion. And in case you're wondering, no sin for us as well is ever worth fracturing that devotion to God. So we see that Jesus, he perfectly loves God with all of his heart. Jesus loves God with all of his soul. Let's see how Jesus loves God with all of his mind. Now, when we're talking about the mind, uh, we're talking about the, the intellect and the understanding. Okay, so... The idea of loving God with all of our mind, it's more than just having a casual or passing thought about God. It's directing intentional mental focus to know him on a deeper level. Okay, you can, you can think of loving God with all of your mind. Think of it, think of it like this. When you, when you love somebody, you want to get to know them, right? How, how insulting would it be if your spouse told you, yeah, I love you, but I don't, I don't want to know you. I don't want to know what makes you tick. I don't want to know your quirks. I'm not interested in how your day went. At that point, you're not buying that that person loves you, and you, you probably shouldn't. But Christ, he gives us this example of what it looks like to think about God, to understand God, and to set our minds on him in love. Luke chapter 2 46, it tells us that when Jesus was a young boy, so this, this also applies, this idea of loving God with all the mind applies to the, uh, the teenagers in the room. Uh, it tells us that Jesus, when he was a young boy, he would sit in the temple and he would listen to the Jewish rabbis teach and he would learn about God. In Matthew chapter 7, verse, verses 28 and 29, it tells us that Jesus taught the scriptures in more depth and with more authority than anybody else. And anybody here who is a teacher knows that it takes like really putting in a lot of mental effort to formulate a lesson plan to try to teach somebody so that they can understand the material. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus would use objects around him to show his disciples how everything in creation reflects God and helps us to know him on a deeper level in some way. Like when he, he points to a sparrow and he says, God takes care of the sparrow, how much more will he take care of you? Or when he says, um, you know, look at the hairs on your head. You, you're, you're so valuable that God has counted every one of them. Or when he points to a door and he says, I am the door. The only way to eternal life with God is through me. Jesus Christ, he doesn't ever set an example of an ignorant 
Christianity for us, one that's more about emotions than about intellect. Jesus actively used his mind to express love and devotion to God the Father. So we see that Jesus loves God with all of his heart. He loves God with all of his soul. Jesus loves God with all of his mind. Let's see how Jesus loves God with all of his strength. So uh, strength, it's a pretty self-explanatory idea, right? To love God with all of our strength, it conveys loving him with our physical ability, with our, with our energy. Uh, but strength, it has, it has some different kind of components to it. And, and here's what I mean. Uh, here at Merge, we have a lot of people who do CrossFit, right? So if you've ever done CrossFit or any training at all, you know that there are some days that are going to be better than others. And I was talking with Brandon Massey, our awesome guitarist here, last week about this, about this same thing, uh, that some days we walk into the gym and the weights just feel light. Like It's like you can throw the weight up, you know, and it's not a problem. You're not getting winded like, like you did the week before, and you just feel strong. But then there are some days when you go to the gym and you're a little groggy, you're a little tired, the weights feel heavier than ever, and, and on those days, you don't really feel strong. You feel weak. Uh, but the truth is, uh, I'd say that this is strength disguised as weakness because the fact that you're there, the fact that you're doing it, the fact you're doing your workout, even while you're tired and struggling, that's still strength. And I'd say that it takes even more strength to stick to that commitment when you're basically just suffering the whole way through. And uh, much like this, Jesus, he loves God with all of his strength on every end of the spectrum that we're talking about here. For example, in the Gospels, we see Jesus, he's, he's calming storms with his voice. He's raising the dead. He's healing the sick from miles away. Just showing off these amazing feats of, of miraculous strength. But we also see times where Jesus' strength is disguised in weakness. Like the fact that he stepped into human history in the form of a baby. Or when he got hungry and tired and thirsty because he's traveling and preaching and healing people all day long and doesn't have much of a moment to himself. Or when he's sweating drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane. Or when he hangs on a cross and dies. Not because he wasn't strong enough to get down from the cross, but because he loved God with all of his strength and chose to hang on the cross until all of his human strength was completely gone. In strength, Christ laid down his life for us who are weak. And then in strength, Jesus overcame death. He took his life back up again, raising from the dead three days later because death was not strong enough to hold him down. And what's more than that is he raised us up with him, basically carrying us on his back out of the grave spiritually. Out of love for the Father, Jesus Christ willingly sunk to the lowest depths of strength disguised as weakness, and rose to the greatest heights of strength displayed 
and glory. So Jesus, he loves God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he, he perfectly and beautifully fulfills this part of the greatest commandment. So now let's see how he fulfills the second part of the greatest commandment. Go ahead and look with me at verse 31 again. Jesus says, The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. All right, so how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus love his neighbor as himself? Well, Jesus, he's quoting Leviticus 19.18 here, and this word love that Mark uses uh, is actually the same word used, uh, agape, when Jesus commands us to love God. So in other words, we're to love others with the same expression of love that we show to God and that he has shown to us. They're inseparable. Loving God and loving neighbor go hand in hand. But that's not all, all that's, that's wrapped up in this command. This command actually implies that we love ourselves with agape love too. Okay, the command is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Or said another way, you shall agape love your neighbor as you agape love yourself. So it's important to note that Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't love ourselves, but that we should love others like we love ourselves. And naturally, this is going to make others a priority in our lives instead of uh, making ourselves the priority in our lives. And Jesus, he does this in an overwhelmingly beautiful way on our behalf. And to kind of get a better understanding of this, we have to we have to do some theology here real quick. Okay? We have to think about the Trinity. Okay? 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it tells us that God is love. All right? Love is an essential part of God's nature. So what that means is that for all eternity past, before we existed, before the world was created, God wasn't looking for someone to love, and that's why he created us. God created us so that we could experience his love, primarily his self-love, which is how he loves himself. And that maybe might sound scandalous, but God loves God. And this, this love is eternally displayed in the relationship between the Trinity. Okay, remember that we serve one God in three persons, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so for all eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have always existed and have always loved one another. This is the self-love of God. It's Trinitarian. It's bound up in that relationship. And what's so special is that God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, stepped into human history in the person of Jesus Christ to bring us into the self-love of God so that we can experience it too. You can think of it like when a loving, happy family adopts a child. Okay, There's already love kind of flowing from family member to family member in the home. And when they adopt the child, they bring the child into this pre-existing love that exists within this family so that the child can experience that love for itself. 
Okay, this is how Jesus loves us like he loves himself. Okay, for all eternity, he experienced the love within the Trinity as God the Son. And he wanted us to experience it too. So he stepped into human history. He paid our adoption fee for us so that we can be welcomed into the family of God and experience the love that exists within the Trinity. And what's even more than that is our faith, our faith makes us one with Christ. So when we're adopted into the family of God, we don't experience a second-hand kind of love. We experience this love as Christ experiences it himself, which is an amazing privilege that, if I'm honest, I don't spend too much enough time thinking about. Now, this, this privilege of, of experiencing the self-love of God in Christ is reserved only for born-again Christians. You can't access it anywhere else. It has been purchased by Christ's blood and reserved for those who love him and follow him and persevere with him until the end. Now, I wouldn't be a good neighbor uh, to anyone here who, who isn't a believer if I, if I didn't say this. And if you are here you're an un, and you, you don't believe yet, you're skeptical, skeptical about, about Jesus and following Jesus and, and what that looks like, uh, first of all, you should know that you're absolutely welcome here. Um, and I wouldn't be very loving if, if I didn't share this uh, with you, that you need to know that the Bible is very clear that if you uh, haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're currently separated from God because of your sin. And not only are you not experiencing the fullness of his love, but Jesus tells us in John 3.18 that this separation is so severe, this separation is so serious, that if your life were to end right now, you would spend eternity separated from God in hell. Separated from the fullness of his love now and separated entirely from his love forever. But the good news is that's why God gave us Jesus Christ. Okay, to reconcile you with God so that you too can experience the fullness of God's love by putting your faith in Jesus, believing that he lived, died, and rose from the dead to save you from the penalty of your sin, to adopt you into the family of God. The fullness of God's love is available to you right now. Jesus Christ is holding it out this very moment and the way you receive it is simple. You confess that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and then you embrace the Savior that God has given you, which is Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Christ as the one that God sent to bring you home into his love. So Jesus, he, he loves us as he loves himself in a special way that him, being, being fully God and fully man, can do. And now that, that we've, we've seen how Christ worshipfully and perfectly fulfills the greatest commandment, I hope that for all of us we're, we're dazzled by how he does it. That our hearts are, are set on fire with love for him because of what he's 
done for us. And, and it's at, at this point that we can start to draw some application for ourselves. So, um, so let's go ahead and look at verses 32 through 34. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So, after Jesus tells the scribe what the greatest commandment is, I imagine this scribe's pretty dumbfounded. Right? Jesus, he... He, there, there are 613 commandments and Jesus uh, distills them down. He narrows them down into one commandment that sums them all up. And the scribe, he, he agrees with Jesus that this is the greatest commandment. Um, but Jesus' response to him is, is kind of interesting. He says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, uh, in the past, I used to think that this was kind of Jesus giving this scribe a pat on the back, like giving him a thumbs up for, for answering well, for, for agreeing with him. Um, but as I was praying over this sermon and thinking about this, the, the thought uh, came to my mind that uh, being not far from the kingdom of God is actually a pretty scary thought. Because being not far from the kingdom of God is still being outside of the kingdom of God. It's like saying the phrase, so close, yet so far away. And one day, when your time on earth is done, and you stand before God, being not far from the kingdom of God will not be enough. Because being not far from the kingdom of God will still be an eternity away. So why was this scribe so close, yet so far away? And I think it's because uh, agreeing that this is the greatest commandment, agreeing with Jesus here, it's, it's, it's not following the commandment. Right? Knowing, knowing the commandment in your head is not living it out with your life. So I think it's important just for all of us, and, and I've, I've been doing the same thing as I've been preparing for this sermon, I think that, that it's, it's important for us to do a heart check here. And I wonder if there are any of us here today who Jesus would say is not far from the kingdom of God, but is still outside the kingdom of God. You know a lot of facts about Jesus, but you're not interested in following Jesus. Or maybe you you grew up going to church. You think that that church is, is a good thing. You want your kids to learn some good morals while they're young. But if you're honest you have a shallow relationship with God and that's not really something you're, you're concerned about. Um, whatever your situation may be, I'm, I'm not sure um, what it is, but it's so important that if you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that if you read these words, Jesus saying, um, you know, you're not far from the kingdom of God and you're feeling this conviction, this weight that maybe I am outside the kingdom of God, don't push away from that conviction. You need to press into that conviction because the Holy Spirit 
is putting that on your heart out of love for you. There's nothing more important that you can do today than to really search that out and to understand what's, what's going on in your heart and, and even to talk to, to people about it. Uh, Mark and I will be over here after service if, that's, if you want to work through your, your feeling this conviction, you want to work through it. Um, now, uh, I want you to hear me clearly. I'm, I'm not saying that any of us are going to be perfect. Okay, I'll be the first one to admit that there are days I really struggle with living this out. Okay, and you can ask my wife, you can ask my daughters especially. Okay. Um, but if we're truly, if we truly love and follow Jesus, um, there is something we can count on. If he is the Savior and Lord of our lives, it means that we have the Spirit of Christ living inside of us. And if we have the Spirit of Christ living inside of us, uh, then we should be growing in these things. We should be growing in loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Now, I don't, like I said, I, I don't know all the details of, of y'all's lives, right? You do. You're with you 24-7. Even the person who's your closest friend or spouse, they're not with you 24-7, okay? You know the things that you wrestle with. You know ways that that you could improve on loving God in this way and loving your neighbor in this way. And so those specific things, I'm sure the Holy Spirit is putting specific things on your heart, ways that you can grow in that kind of Christ-like love. And if we're completely honest, I think we'll admit that every one of us in this room has an opportunity to grow in these areas. And we always will. Because following these commandments, it's not really a destination that we arrive at. It's, it's more of a journey that we're on. Okay? We're never going to be able to fully uh, check off all the boxes of this list perfectly, which is why it's so important that Jesus Christ has already done it for us. That we grow in obedience to this commandment, not trying to earn God's love, not trying to earn anything from God, not trying to prove ourselves, but as a worshipful response to Jesus and the fact that he laid down his life because we could never do it perfectly. So instead of creating an exhaustive list of how we respond to this commandment today individually, I want to just kind of give us a general idea of what obedience, obedience to this commandment looks like and let the Holy Spirit show you the specifics. And, and Chris and the guys, we're going to start wrapping up if you want to Head up. <clears throat> so here's the, here's the general question to close us out. If we're becoming more like Christ in loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and in loving our neighbor as ourselves, where is that going to lead us? Well, that's going to lead us naturally to the same place that led Christ, which is to the cross. Following Christ's obedience to the greatest commandment will lead us to many crosses in our lives because it's, it's a life of, of sacrifice. And if you think about it, the cross of Jesus um, is actually a perfect illustration of this uh, because the vertical post of the cross, it points us upward to God, which reminds us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
the horizontal post of the cross, it, it reminds us to, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And seeing Christ on the cross, it reminds us that to follow this commandment um, worshipfully is as a response to Him and to His sacrifice, it's going to require sacrifice from us to love God and to love neighbor in the way that Christ did. Loving God and loving neighbor will, uh, like Christ, will lead us to, to many crosses in our lives, but these crosses, these are, are places of worship. Okay. More, even more so than, than you know, when we're gathered together on Sundays and we're, we're singing songs, it's, it's those moments of sacrifice in our lives throughout the week where we uh, remember what Christ has done for us and we respond to his sacrifice by being living sacrifices of our own. Christ's obedience on the cross, it wasn't only a sacrifice for us, it was a pure, raw, uh, glorious display of worship to God. And so uh, my prayer for myself and, and for Merge um, is that our lives would be one that's motivated and, and empowered by Jesus Christ uh, to live this out as a worshipful response to his worshipful sacrifices. So uh, before we go ahead and, and close in prayer, uh, and before Chris leads us out, just want to make a couple of things available to everyone. Um, if you need prayer for any reason at all, uh, Mark and I are going to be just right over here. Um, if Again, if you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, like uh, you hear Christ's words of, of um, you know, you are not far from the kingdom of God, if that's something that's really like sticking with you and you want to come talk to somebody about it, um, you want to kind of work these things out, please come talk to us. Uh, spend some time in, in, in prayer also. Ask, ask us to pray for you, what, whatever you need. Like we just want to be available and if you're here and you aren't a believer, if, if you haven't put your faith and entrusted your life uh, uh, in Christ, then uh, also we would love to talk to you as well. Even if you're still skeptical and you have a bunch of questions that you want answered, we would love to be able to talk with you through that. And if you need prayer for anything at all. And also, if, if you want to uh, observe um, communion, uh, and remember Christ's sacrifice for you, his worshipful sacrifice where he, his body was broken and his blood was shed for, for us. Uh, we have the, uh, the elements in the back for the Lord's Supper if you want to uh, go and partake of that. So uh, with that said, love you guys very much and let me go ahead and pray for us. Father God, We just thank you for the beautiful, your beautiful eternal love that you've chosen to share with us, that you've made available to us in Christ. And Father, I pray for every person here. I pray that we wouldn't be casual about the love that you've shown us, Lord, but that it would light a fire in our hearts to love you more with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Thank you for, for how good you are to us. We thank you that you've given us the opportunity to know 
your love. And I just pray that you would help all of us as we leave this room today to live lives of of worshipful um, sacrifice. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.